Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Hi, thanks for tuning in today. Our Wednesday messages are part of a series that we call Pondering Prophecy. And we've had the opportunity over the last few weeks to take a look at a number of scriptures, all related to the end times. These are prophecies uh, related to the second coming uh, of Jesus Christ. The return of Jesus Christ is, is likely the most anticipated event in of all of, of all of Christianity. In fact, throughout the ages, during times of unprecedented difficulties, persecutions and economic hardships, people understandably look for the return of Jesus as, as a way to, to, to fix the problems of the world. And you know, that's exactly what the return of Jesus does. The return of Jesus at the end of times is the, the great fix. It's the, it's the great opportunity for heaven and earth to be one, for those things that are in heaven to also be done on the earth. This is our, this is our prayer when we have the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we, we pray that thy will would be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Now, the church that was birthed at Pentecost uh, immediately faced uh, persecution. Uh, the Jewish people, for the most part, rejected the teachings of the apostles um, and, and Jesus, that Jesus was the Messiah. Um, Jesus, however, was exactly as the prophets had foretold, was born in Bethlehem. He, he died under Pontius Pilate. He rose after three days. He ascended into heaven, and Jesus promised that he would return in the same manner that he left. It was during the difficult times in the early church, during the times of persecution, that the Apostle Paul taught um, the, the people of the church, taught them specifically of the return of, of Jesus Christ. He told them that Jesus had said he would return at, at any moment and that it was going to be unexpected. It would be uh, when we didn't expect it. In fact, we were to encourage each other with the words that, that Paul had said. In the, Apostles Paul, in the Apostle Paul's letter to Timothy, he said that the second coming of Jesus Christ is the, is the blessed hope. You know, I love that. You know, it's something that we look forward to. And let me tell you, if, if your doctrines, if your teaching, if your understanding of the end times um, is not that Jesus comes and takes his church home with him before all of the problems, the judgments on the worlds, the, the, seven, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven vials. You know, I, I don't know how you could think of that as the blessed hope, uh, that Jesus is going to come back and, and somehow we'll make it through it, but, but many of us would die. That, that's not what I teach. Uh, I, I teach, like many others, we teach that the blessed hope is that Jesus comes back for his church. And that's our, that's our topic for today. Our topic for today is the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's commonly referred to as the rapture. And specifically, our message today is titled, Rapture Ready. Those two words, Rapture Ready. You know, I've mentioned before that prophecy is found in, in literally one out of every four verses in the Bible, more than 25%. 
In addition, scholars have determined that there's over 150 chapters in the Bible that specifically speak to the end times, specifically prophetically talking about the tribulation period of Armageddon, the judgment of the nations, and the return of, of Jesus Christ. So there's, there's many places that we could begin today. And speaking of being rapture ready, I thought I'd do something a, a little bit different. And that is rather than talking about verses that are typically associated with prophecy, I would teach instead on one of the parables of Jesus. And this parable is, is one of the very last parables that Jesus gave uh, before he went to the cross. It's one of three parables that, speak, the parables that speak specifically about the end of time, the return of Jesus Christ, and the judgment of the nations. So we'll begin reading today in Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 1. And this is the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins. Verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Now, the context of this, this parable of the wise and the foolish virgins is that it's one of three parables that Jesus told again just prior to going to the cross. In fact, it's even after Jesus talks about his, his second coming, the end of days, the destruction of the temple. Um, this, is a, this is his discourse called the Olivet Discourse. All three of these parables focus on events that happen at the end of days, and they're all associated with the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, the Olivet Discourse, this conversation that Jesus had with his disciples on the Mount of Olives, was a response by Jesus to the questions that the disciples had asked. After they had pointed out the temple to Jesus, and he had remarked that, uh, I tell you the truth, that not one stone would be left on another, they asked him the question. And the question they said is, what will be the sign of your coming? They wanted to know what was going to happen just prior to Jesus coming again. Um, now this is one of the questions that Jesus was asked a number of times. Likely he was asked, are you going to establish your kingdom now? Well, by this time the apostles understand that Jesus is not going to establish the kingdom now. They weren't quite sure about the death and the crucifixion and the resurrection. But Jesus had made it clear that that was, going to, that was going to happen at a different time. And this is why they were asking that. You know, the apostles like the rest of the Jews. 
They were looking for a king. They were looking for somebody like King David. They were looking for somebody that could break the yoke of bondage that the Romans had them under. Somebody that could reestablish the glorious kingdom of Israel. However, Jesus came to accomplish something first that was even greater. And that was basically to give us eternal life, to pay for the sin of the world. Uh, the things that had gone wrong ever since Adam and Eve had sinned in the Garden of Eden. Jesus came to live a, a perfect life and to be able to be that sacrifice for sin. However, there is a kingdom to come. There is a kingdom to come. Jesus will return. He will establish an earthly kingdom. Not just a spiritual kingdom, not just something in the heavens or something in the clouds, but Jesus will rule and reign as King of kings and Lord of lords, and guess what? He's going to rule right on the throne of David in the city of Jerusalem. So Jesus complies with the request of the apostles to give them some idea about the sign of the times, the things that will happen just prior to his return. And, and he tells them a, a number of things, including this parable. See, this parable is actually part of that, that answer. Now, in his answer, the Olivet Discourse, Jesus refers to those things that immediately precede his coming. Uh, now, much, many of these are nat natural occurrences, so it really doesn't help us get into the actual time. He talks about earthquakes and famines and pestilences and, and plagues. Now, many of these signs all naturally occur. However, Jesus indicated, and this is what the scriptures tell us, is that when these things begin to happen um, in succession, when they start happening faster and faster, Jesus referred to them as, as birth pangs or birth pains. And, and, and that's a great uh, analogy, uh, that when things start happening very, very quickly, we are to look up for our redemption is, is drawing nine. This, no, this, this, uh, this description of, of birth pains is interesting, and I'm sure you've heard it before, but all of us understand it. Uh, of course, the women much more than the men, uh, but I'll give you my take on it as well. Uh, the idea of the gestation period of a human is, is nine months, give or take a little bit of time. And it's only at the end of this waiting period, the, the last, uh, last few weeks, the last month or so, that the woman starts feeling some some pain some indications there uh, in fact the the birth pains when they start you know that the the baby's coming and when they initially start they're they're separated by maybe 15 minutes maybe a half hour but then as the birth gets closer and closer the birth pains get closer and closer to closer together this is exactly what Jesus is talking about even with these natural signs signs like um, you know earthquakes and famines and pestilences and wars um, so now we understand the context of the parable and I told you all this because that's the context of the parable answering this question about his second coming so let's take a look at this parable and the first thing I want you to understand is Jesus is very clearly talking about the suddenness the unexpectedness of the return of Jesus. Jesus had told us there would be signs in the coming, but not so for the day or the hour. You know, going back again to, to the pregnancy, when, when my wife was pregnant with our two children, the doctor gave us a, a due date. Uh, but that, <laughs> the babies didn't pay much attention to that due date. It was just around that day. No one knew the true day or the hour. 
even though the doctor had predicted it. In the same way, Jesus is going to come back when we don't expect it. The parable is also using the use of a, a setting, and that setting is a, a wedding. And now most of us would think that we understand weddings, but you really have to understand the context of a wedding uh, uh, ceremony or uh, the, the wedding experience in Galilee, exactly where Jesus and most of his disciples had come from, because this is what Jesus is speaking to. And if you remember, the very first miracle that Jesus um, um, had was at the wedding in Cana. So Jesus is very uh, used to weddings and, and this wedding metaphor uh, applies specifically to his second coming. The parable is describing a wedding and within that ancient cultural cue there's a particular event that happens at the wedding and that is when the bridegroom returns for the bride. It says, and at midnight a cry was heard, behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. And so at least, let's do this, let's assign a person to the bridegroom. And that's going to be relatively easy. We'll say that Jesus is the, is the bridegroom. If you've been studying the parables um, of Jesus with me over the last couple of years, um, one of the things I, I, I mentioned is that these, these parables are all stories, they're all metaphors, and they all speak to the kingdom of God. And they, if we're really good at it, we understand the one primary moral message, the one primary moral message. In this case, of the, in this, case um, this, is a, this is a parable that Jesus specifically says in order to speak and tell them about the kingdom of God. In order to understand the kingdom of God, Jesus tells this parable. In the parable, the bridegroom is without a doubt Jesus. We've understood that. Jesus actually called himself the bridegroom often. One of, his best, one of the best examples I have is he was asked by his disciples, or actually by John the Baptist's disciples, why he and his disciples didn't fast very often. And Jesus replied, you cannot make the attendance of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them. So even more importantly, because it's going to be, a, fa it's going to be a, a, a factor, especially in our discussion today about being rapture ready, is if we've understood that the bridegroom is Jesus, we have to understand also that the bride is the body of Christ. It's the, it's the church. The church is referred to often as the bride in the Bible. This is, this is very clear, particularly when we talk about the apocalyptic verses, those, those verses that reveal the, the second coming of Jesus Christ. In the book of Revelation, for example, it reads, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, that's Jesus, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. That's Revelation chapter 19, verse 7. And then a few verses later it says, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Okay, so now we understand the context. We understand that this is speaking of the kingdom of God. It's talking about the sudden appearance of Jesus Christ. And we understand who the bridegroom is and who the bride is. Let's take a closer look now at some of the verses in the parable. Verse 1, it says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. So one of the first things we have to understand is Jesus is clarifying that he's speaking of the kingdom of heaven. We want to find the main moral message, the main clue, the main mystery that's being revealed to us here. We're not going to get tied down into all of the details. Everything in a parable doesn't have to have a kingdom of God 
um, implication. We're looking for the main message here. Jesus says in this parable that ten virgins took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. So let's talk a little bit more about what I mentioned, this, the ancient tradition of marriages in Galilee. Um, first we have to understand that in a marriage, unlike today, uh, the marriage in ancient times, and this is not only in Galilee, but all through Israel, in fact, much of the Middle East, uh, the, the, there's actually three stages to a marriage. And remember, these marriages are typically arranged. And the first was what was called an engagement. It's actually a covenant that's made between the families and in between the bride-to-be and the uh, bridegroom. Um, it's, it's, it's an arrangement. Um, and this arrangement is a covenant that's made. The second was what's called the betrothal. And now this is much more actively involved with, uh, with the couple, with the man and the woman, the bridegroom and the bride. Uh, they come together in a ceremony and certain mutual promises are made. Um, it, was, it was after this event this betrothal that they're considered committed, they're considered married, but remember they haven't come together yet. Uh, we see this actually in the story of, of Joseph and Mary. They were betrothed, but Mary was a virgin. Uh, they had not come together yet. They had not consummated the marriage. They, they had fully committed um, a relationship with each other. This is why Joseph heard of Mary uh, that was pregnant and decided that he was going to divorce her. You see, after the betrothal, they're, they're fully committed, uh, just like the bridegroom, Jesus, and the bride, the church. After the betrothal, the second stage, the groom would return to his father's house and prepare a place. Does that sound familiar? You know, in John chapter 14, Jesus says that. He says, um, behold, I, I go to my father's house and I will prepare a place for you. If it wasn't so, I would, I would have told you. But where I go to prepare a place, I will return, and where I will be, or where I am, you will be also. So Jesus is speaking even when he talks about heaven, when he talks about uh, leaving to his Father's house. He's bringing in the same analogy of this, of this wedding, and this betrothal, and this, this wedding ceremony. Now the third phase, the third phase of the marriage, culminates with the marriage supper. However, it would begin when the bridegroom comes for his bride. And it's actually the father that says, the time is ready, go get your bride. That's why no one knows except, not, not even the bridegroom, but only the father. The father says, it's time to go get your bride. Uh, and typically, it was done in, in secrecy. Now, part of, that, uh, part of that culture has carried over into our culture. You know, it's, it's considered um, a bad luck to see the bride uh, before the wedding in her wedding dress. It's supposed to be kind of a secret. It's supposed to be kind of a surprise. The bridegroom would come actually unexpectedly and his arrival would be accompanied by a shout, the bridegroom cometh. So let's turn our attention now to these wise and foolish virgins, the five foolish and, and five, uh, five foolish and five wise. Now we're not sure exactly why the number 10 was 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 used five foolish and five and five wise it may not have any significance however um, many commentators say that ten refers to responsibility and obedience you see there's a there's a responsibility that we have as we're waiting for the rapture for the coming second coming of Jesus Christ now these virgins they're usually 
likely uh, we could refer to them as like bridesmaids or attendants who would be uh, assisting the bride while the bridegroom is preparing a place for her. And that's in this time period, by the way, could often be a, a year and sometimes more that the bridegroom would be away from the bride preparing a place for her for them to live. The lamps that they were carrying, these, these, uh, these virgins, were likely uh, torches. Uh, perhaps Jesus used the word lamps because he's also going to use a metaphor with the word oil. Um, lamps require oil, uh, torches do not. Torches or lamps were necessary, however, because for some reason, according to historians, the bridegroom always came at, at night. Uh, there was something about the surprise of the bridegroom coming and the shout going out, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. It was not uncommon for the entire bridal party and all of the invited, uh, invited guests then to travel back to the bridegroom's father's house. They would have this wedding procession that would take them back to the house. Sometimes it was in the neighboring town, sometimes it was in the same village, but they would travel from the bride's place of residence to the bridegroom's place of residence, which was his father's house. So then in this parable, we're introduced to a problem. And the problem is, is that the foolish virgins failed to bring oil with them. It says, those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So let's put a pin in this relationship of the oil and lamp for a second, because I want to talk to you about the next verse. It says, but while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Now remember, our topic today is, is rapture ready. So we're going to talk a little bit about being, being ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ. But sleep is sometimes required, right? I noticed that all 10 of the maidens slept. Uh, because the bridegroom was delayed. Attentiveness does not require staying awake. Um, it does require, however, preparation, the oil, as well as, as responsiveness, immediately get going out to meet the bridegroom, particularly because the bridegroom was delayed. Now, how long of a delay? Well, as I mentioned, in a typical Galilean wedding, it would not be unusual to have a year or more but however, since Jesus left and went to his father's home to prepare a place for us, it's been about 2,000 years. 2,000 years since Jesus said he was coming back, um, and what he's hoping is that the bride is still waiting, is still ready, is still looking forward to the bridegroom coming back. The apostle Peter wrote about this very delay in 2 Peter where it says in chapter 3, the Apostle Peter says, most importantly, you must understand that in the last days, that's the days we're in, in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires, and they'll say, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since our fathers fell asleep, everything continues as it has from the beginning uh, of creation. And see, this is exactly why we're, we're teaching this message. It's important for us to be ready. We want to, we want to be anticipating the return of the Lord. It, it's kind of like if, if one of your relatives, let's say your son went off to war uh, and, they, and he, was, he was deployed overseas and he was gone for a couple of years and we see the videos all the time of, of the, the soldier coming back home and the people are so excited to see him. Can you imagine the soldier coming back, your son coming back, and nobody caring, nobody even waiting for him. It's like, oh, I, I forgot you had even left. 
I, I forgot I even had a son. No, that would, be, that would be horrible. That's not the kind of YouTube video we want to see. We want to see people excited. And it's the same thing with waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. It may have been 2,000 years. And there may be scoffers saying, ever since the, our fathers fell asleep, everything continues as it was in the past. Where is this promise of his coming? But Jesus Christ, my friends, is coming back. And if we look at the signs, oh my goodness, if we take a look at the signs, we are well, well into the beginning of what we understand as, as birth pains. So I believe that this delay and the doubt that the bridegroom is coming back explains actually the difference between the foolish and the wise virgins. The wise, it says, had oil. They were expecting that they would need to light their lamps. But you see, the foolish were not even expecting that the bridegroom was going to be coming. And because they, they weren't even expecting it, why bother to put oil in the lamps? They're not going to need the lamps because the bridegroom wasn't even coming. So let's look at the next verse and we'll dig deeper now into the significance of the lamps and the oil. It says, at midnight a cry was heard, behold the bridegroom is coming. And those virgins arose and they trimmed their lamps. You know, we live in a, an electric age where all we have to do is go to the wall and, and click, flick a switch and the lights immediately come on. Um, or our flashlight, you just flick a switch on the flashlight, it comes on. By the way, if you live in England, as I did for a while, your flashlight is actually called a torch. Our, our flashlights have ever-ready batteries <laughs> that last and last and they will turn on with the flick of a switch. But if we're smart, we make preparations for the unexpected, right? I mean, here I am living in, in Florida. In Florida, we have a thing called hurricanes. And because we have hurricanes, most houses, if they're ready, if they're prepared, they've got more than enough ever-ready batteries. They've got some candles as well. Uh, my father used to have a generator always that he would test every year in his garage, always to be, to be ready. And that's exactly the difference here between the wise and the foolish virgins. The foolish virgins weren't expecting the bridegroom. The, fool, the, the wise ones were, and they were prepared. Uh, and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. And, and this verse begins the main part of the parable, the moral story. And this parable, remember, is a warning. It's a dire warning. It's letting us know that like these foolish virgins, there are some that consider themselves part of the bridal party. They consider themselves part of those that are invited. But at the same time, they don't have the oil. Now, the oil has always been a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Over, over 200 times in the Bible, there's a reference of oil. And typically, that oil is referred to as an anointing oil, the, the Spirit of the Lord. The parable is a warning addressed specifically to those who believe they are included. What does that mean? They believe they are the saved. They believe they're part of the body of Christ. Maybe because they go to church. Maybe because they, they have a membership. Maybe because their name is on the roll somewhere. Maybe because they've been baptized or the pastor wrote his name in their Bible. But let me tell you, my friends, they're, they're missing something. Something critical. Something essential. This parable is a warning that it's possible, and I would go much, much further than saying that it's possible. It is certain that there are many that believe they are part of those that are invited. They're part of the church, but for many reasons, sometimes very, very personal reasons, they're not included. Just as these foolish virgins didn't have oil in the lamp, these foolish Christians, so-called Christians, have never 
invited the Holy Spirit, the Lord, into their life. There's two hundred, like I mentioned before, there's over 200 references to oil in the Bible. It's the symbol of the Holy Spirit's presence. Uh, we see in the Old Testament the ritual anointing of prophets and priests and kings. They were all anointed with, with oil. So, now in our remaining time, let's establish um, that we are the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, and we're waiting for the rapture of the church. This is part of what we know as the called the second advent, the second coming of Jesus Christ. The first advent was when Jesus came as a babe, born in Bethlehem. The second advent is when Jesus returns. However, and this is key, there are two stages to the Lord's return. The prophetic scriptures speak very specifically of two separate and distinct events. The rapture of the church and then the physical return of Jesus Christ. The rapture will occur at any moment. Uh, and it, it happens when Jesus Christ returns for his church. The physical return of Jesus Christ happens when Christ returns with his church. Understand that? There's a difference. One is when Jesus comes for his church. The second is when Jesus returns with his church. In the study of the end times, there's, these two events are often confused because they're, they're similar. They, they both return, they both describe the return of Jesus Christ. They both happen at the end time, yet there are important differences that we have to understand. In the rapture, the advent, the first advent um, of the second advent, the first part of the second advent, believers meet the Lord in the air. And the best verse we have for this is uh, the Apostles Paul to the church in uh, Church of Thessalonians, chapter 1, verse 16. He says, For the Lord himself, uh, chapter 4, verse 16, he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now that is something to get excited about. That is something that we call the blessed hope. At any given time, the trumpet sounds, Christ appears in the air, and immediately we are caught up together with all of our friends, all of our relatives, all of the saints of old. They all get resurrected bodies. I mean, I'm pretty happy with this one, but I'm all for a new one that's younger and even better shaped than this one. I mean, we get brand new bodies. We're raptured. We're, we're caught up together with the Lord. The, there's a song that talks about the graves will burst open. The graves will burst open. And we that are alive will be caught up together and meet the Lord in the air. And the last verse says, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Like I said, that's something to be excited about. Now, in the second coming, the physical coming of, of Jesus to the earth, which actually happens about seven years after this. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, it says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. See, that's a different picture than we saw in First Thessalonians. It says then in verse 14, And the armies in heaven, clothed in white linen, Fine linen, white and clean, fouled him on white horses. You see, in the rapture of the church, we meet Christ in the air. In the, in the second coming of the Lord, which happens later, we, come, we, we return to earth with the Lord. We are with the Lord, the armies of heaven. 
Now the rapture could happen in any moment. Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Now every time you hear that in the future, remember what I said, this, this analogy that Jesus uses of the wedding, uh, the wedding ceremony and the wedding uh, phases, the three phases of it. Remember, it's the father of the bridegroom that says, go get your bride, go get your bride, it's time. And that's when the bridegroom cometh. The, it is the father of the groom. And that's the big surprise, that's the, that's the surprise. However, the second coming won't happen um, the actual coming of Jesus in the air with the church. Now that won't happen until certain things precede it. So the rapture of the church is what we call imminent. It can happen at any time. This is why Pop, the Apostle Paul told the church in, uh, uh, in Thess the Thessalonians uh, to be ready. At any moment the Lord could come back and that was almost 2,000 years ago because there's nothing that's required prior to his return. However, for Jesus to come back in the air there's a lot of things that happen. This is at the end of the book of Revelation. There's a number of things that happen. Um, in the second coming, it says um, uh, it'll, ha it'll happen after the Antichrist. After the Antichrist comes. In fact, it's three and a half years after um, the Antichrist breaks his promise to Israel, this covenant to Israel. Um, it says he will oppose and he'll exalt himself over everything that's called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. And the second coming comes after that, comes after that. Not before that, but after that. The rapture of the church actually precedes that. The church as the bride of Christ is removed at the beginning of the end of the church age. And this is referred to as the, also the fullness of the Gentiles. This is, this is the church age. This is the age of the Gentiles, the age of grace. When Jesus then returns for his bride, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 it says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation from our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's close this message today by returning to our parable. We read early of, earlier of the ten virgins, five that were uh, wise and five that were foolish. The five that were wise were prepared. And it says, verse 10, And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in. Those with the oil those that were expecting the return, those that were looking for the appearance of the bridegroom, they were ready. They went in with him to the wedding and the door was shut. It was shut. You know, I don't know if you've ever been to a, to a Broadway play, but they usually have an intermission between the acts. Um, even an off-Broadway play, they'll do that. The lights will come up in the theater, you can go exit the theater, you can get something to drink, refresh yourself of some kind. They'll start flashing the lights, that's the idea to come back to your seats because the second act is ready to start. But ultimately, the doors then of the theater are, are shut. And let me tell you, if the theater manager is a stickler, if that door is shut, you're not going to come back in. I don't care if you've got a ticket. I don't care if your coat is still sitting in your chair. Um, you're not going to get back into the theater when those doors shut. That's a warning for us. That's a warning for us. You see, right now, we're in the age of grace. We're in the age of the whosoever. You know, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's, it's, it's really not any more difficult than that, to call on the name of the Lord, to be able to, to look to Jesus, to be able to be the Savior, to be able to forgive your sins, and to be included in the, the bride of Christ. It's that easy. But there'll be a day 
when those doors are are shut. Um, it's it, it's it's it would be horrible to be to be shut out. The point of the entire parable is highlighting the fact that you don't want to be one of these unwise virgins. They didn't have the Holy Spirit, the oil, therefore they were not authentically saved. They might have considered themselves Christians, or we might consider ourselves Christians, but like these foolish virgins, they could be shut out. They were not saved, they really didn't know the Lord, the door was shut, they were on the outside wishing that they were on the inside. So what about us? Well, we need to do two things. We need to be alert, and I think this is important. I think we need to be alert and be sure that we are, are truly saved, truly trusting in Jesus, truly looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ. Um, but it can't be the only thing that, that we do. It really can't. Um, actually, the book of Hebrew gives us an idea of what we should be doing while we're waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 speak specifically of what should we be doing when we see the day of the Lord approaching. It says, And let us consider now to spur one another unto love and good deeds. Let us not neglect meeting together as some have made a habit, but let us encourage one another, and even the more, even so the more, when we see the day of the Lord approaching. Uh, this concept of being left behind, um, what we see of being locked out, is unfortunately all too true. Jesus will return, and whether we hear the words, the bridegroom cometh, or simply hear the call or the shout or the trumpet of God or we're just instantly changed in the twinkling of an eye and meet the Lord in the air, for many it'll be at that point too late. In the book of Revelation, in the first three chapters, there are letters written by Jesus to seven churches. In the first three chapters, the word church is mentioned 19 times. This is the church age, these seven churches that span over 2,000 years. And it, it, it talks about different typical types of churches. You know, some that are still here to this day. Some that will be, remain until the coming of the Lord. For the very last church, this is what Jesus says. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Nineteen times the church is addressed in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. But after chapter 4, verse 1, John is caught up into heaven. John goes up, and what comes happens is the wrath comes down. After that point, the church is no longer mentioned in the book of Revelation until the very end, kind of like an epilogue, talking about, talking about the church. There are a total of 22 chapters in the book of Revelation. The first three chapters talks about the church, but after, um, after chapter 4, in fact, in chapter 6 is when we begin the, revela the, 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 um, the seals, then followed by that, the trumpets and the vials, this horrible time of tribulation. Uh, those people that are left behind have to go through a, a horrible time. And it isn't, it's, it's true that there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be saved during the tribulation, but it's, a, but it's a horrible time. It's a time of judgment and war and famine and pestilence and, and just horrible things going on on earth. Many of the people that are going to be saved will be persecuted so badly that they'll die for their faith. You don't want to be left behind. You want to be ready. You want to be rapture ready. 
Please don't miss the meaning of this parable. Jesus concludes the parable with these words. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. The point of the parable, the point of my topic today is, is simple. Be ready. The door is presently open. Make sure that you're ready for the coming of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for this parable today, this parable of the world. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.